Welcome to episode 62 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I'm here to discuss the fictional horrors of the world. Sometimes they might be real. I'm going back to 1976 and this is Carrie. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her. And if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie... It will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <coughs> Carrie. <coughs> a new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Carrie is based on the book by Stephen King, and it comes from an experience in his life. Carrie White was based on two of the loneliest girls from his grade school. One girl was bullied for wearing the same clothes every day. And then one day she had a new outfit, thinking that this might calm him down a bit, but it didn't. It took the bullying up a notch. They didn't like that she changed. She, as King said, changed the mould. And this only made matters worse. She couldn't win either way. Another girl was in a family that had extreme religious views. They had a massive crucifix hanging in the front room. But the sad thing about these two girls is when he actually began to write this book, both of the girls had in fact passed away. One had had a seizure and the other one had committed suicide, but she was suffering from postnatal depression. He went on to say that very rarely in my career have I explored more distasteful territory. And I think after watching this film, if you are one of those bullies, maybe take a step back. The powers Carrie had actually come from an article King read in Life magazine. It said about if the power of telekinesis does actually exist, it is more likely to occur in adolescent girls. So when writing this, King actually felt, though, that he couldn't write from the perspective of a woman, especially one who is going through menstrual problems because he's thinking like who's going to want to hear about that and he actually did bin the story but his wife went into that bin when he was out one day and took it out luckily he did because now we have Carrie and I personally love this film I think it's great and I've always been a fan of it and I haven't seen it in quite a while so watching it again for this made me realize that it actually does still stand strong today there was a remake in 2013 but to be honest with you, if you are going to watch this, and there's no disrespect towards that film, I would go for the original because it is a lot better. 
It was directed by Brian De Palma and the screenplay was written by a Lawrence D. Cohen. It is an 18. I do agree with that. Although having said it, I think sometimes, you know, if you're a bully, sit them down, let them watch this film and see that there may be consequences for your actions. Obviously, I hope not to this extent, but consequences can be had. It had a budget of 1.8 million and it made 33.8 million. So it definitely did well. It stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie White, a young girl with telekinetic powers. Carrie is an outcast and is the target of bullying at school. She is unable to seek refuge anywhere as her home life isn't much better. She is under the firm hand of her religious fanatic mother, who is Margaret White, and she is played by Piper Laurie. And soon Carrie would have enough and she'd snap and she'd get revenge on everyone who wronged her and a few maybe that got in the way. The opening scene of this film is truly horrifying. It's got so many sad moments in the beginning and it just goes on throughout. Carrie isn't left alone anywhere she goes, whether it's school, whether she's walking down the street, whether she's at home, she just isn't given any peace. And it starts off with a shower room and we see a lot of girls in there. They're like half naked, fully naked, laughing, kind of running about. Not realistic at all, not how I remember school. And then we have Carrie. And in this moment, what makes it quite sad? Well, there's a few things that make it quite sad. But the first one is she's she looks like she's very at peace at this moment. She's in the shower. She's by herself. She's washing herself. She's taking her time and she looks content. And then the film kind of really gets into it straight away and it doesn't really let up. And first of all, it's not only because she's like rudely interrupted by her period and it's not because she's having one. Sometimes they happen without us knowing, but we know what it is, but she has no idea what's happening. And the way she's treated, I'll be honest with you, the way it ends for some of them, I don't have an ounce of sympathy for them. Okay, they don't deserve to die, but they are such a bunch of nasty bitches like imagine that being your kid and that's how they treat another human being. Like imagine knowing your kid is that much of a bully, like the shame I would have knowing that that's what I produced. So I would definitely make sure that doesn't happen. But having your first period at the age of 16 is quite unusual and it's scary enough when you get it, but reaching that age and not knowing about it and having no idea what's happening to you. I mean, it's never a nice experience. Um, You know, blood usually is some, you know, no matter how it happens, it's some form of pain. But when it happens in a place that you're not really expecting it to happen, it's going to be scary. And the fact that she knows nothing shows like such a failure from so many people, her peers. She doesn't really have any connection with them. So nobody's, you know, spoken about it. Um, her home life, her mother just thinks this is the most disgusting thing ever. So she hasn't spoken about it. And at school, like, why are these girls not taught at school about what is happening? Yes, you know, we feel as if the parents should should do this. But, you know, not all parents are good parents, as we see here. And this is basic biology. I mean, it should have been covered for both boys and girls. But why do they need to be so mean about it? And so many of them do it. You know, most women experience periods and it's, you know, it's not pleasant. So, like, why be cruel? It looks like all the girls gang up on her and she's so terrified. Plus, she's so vulnerable because at this moment, she's also naked. There's no protection for her whatsoever. She is completely exposed. And I found this scene so hard to watch. And I always have. You know, you just want to be there, go in and tell her it's okay and then destroy those bitches. Like, especially like a couple of them. You've got PJ Souls. She plays Norma. 
she's that cow as well that pops up in Halloween and she's just so unlikable and she's got that bitch face that drives you mad in films when you see her when she's like that I'm sure she's lovely but you know she does it as well by trying to look all cutesy like she's got her big hair like sometimes she has it in um you know bushes and then she puts on that cap and she's like all like you know oh look at me but she's not she's an absolute cow and then you've got the ultimate mean girl here which is Chris like she's a whole new level of mean and even the actress who played her, Nancy Allen, she's even gone on to say that she found like shooting some of those scenes, especially the shower scene. She found that really difficult, which I can imagine you will because, you know, it's just horrific. But the mental torture, it just doesn't end. The school really has no idea how to deal with this kind of behaviour, which again is disturbing. You have a school with a group of hormonal boys and girls. Educate yourself. The PE teacher, Ms. Collins, played by Betty Buckley, is the only person who you feel is really on her side from the beginning. Despite this, she is still frustrated herself with the situation. Like she does try and calm Carrie down by slapping her. But and I get sometimes you need to do something to jolt someone out of it. But the thing that does annoy me about Miss Collins here is she knows that Carrie has no idea about what a period is. She knows about Carrie's mother. She knows that she doesn't have any friends. And obviously she knows that the school's not teaching anything. So why get frustrated with Carrie? It's so unfair. You can't be mad at someone for not knowing something when you know the reason they don't know. I mean, like, why in these gym classes has it never come up? And then we've got the headmaster. Oh, he, for one, he's so grossed out by all this. There's a bit of blood on Miss Collins' uh, like shorts and he he knows what it is. And he just, you can see, he's absolutely disgusted. And also he doesn't give a shit about Carrie. And he shows us because he constantly refers to her as Cassie. She gets no respect from him. She's not important. She doesn't deserve any of this. And he's told on multiple times, on a very short space of time, I might add, that her name is Carrie. And he just keeps saying Cassie. And as a principal, male or female, it is your duty to be up on, you know, up to scratch on all the things that can happen to a teenager. I mean, they go through so many changes with puberty and stuff. I know he needed to have some sort of compassion. And this bullshit where you can just see he doesn't want to know, it's disgusting. You know, that's that's for you you girls to deal with. Yeah, you don't have to deal with them physically, but you, you're in a school that has girls. Know the fucking, what they are and get with the program. We do get a little insight at this stage into the powers that Carrie has. Firstly, in the shower, when she's getting bullied, a light explodes. You don't really know fully what it is. It could be passed off as just like a um, technical issue, electrical issue. And then in the principal's office, an ashtray just flips. Now, no one touches it, no one pushes it, but I guess people are, you know, it's not it's not your go-to. You just be like, oh my God, what was that? So it shows us that when Carrie feels cornered or she's frustrated that she reacts and she doesn't really have any control over what she does. She just reacts, which of course can be quite dangerous. Now, to be fair, she is treated so poorly. You can't really blame her for get her, getting her own back a little. Now, while the end is a bit of a serious overreaction, a little here and there. I can get that. I probably do it myself. And she's told she can go home, you know, go home, look after herself. And even on the way home, she is again harassed by this little kid. I mean, no matter the age, no matter the person, no matter your status, everyone just gives her shit. 
And he's like, crazy Carrie, crazy Carrie. And again, she uses her powers here and she flips the boy off his bike. He deserved it. And he was fine. He wasn't badly injured. He was fine. Sissy Spacek, who plays Carrie, I just think she does an exceptional role. Up until now, we are drawn in with what she's doing with her performance. And to get into the real headset for this role, she did distance herself from the rest of the cast. I mean, they're so mean to her. And I get that it's a film, but, you know, the the bullying is so extreme that I almost feel like it might be hard then uh, when they shout cut to be like, oh, hey, mate, how's it going? I think it must have been a very lonely film to film if she had to do that. Now, there were others up for the role. You've got Carrie Fisher, Glenn Close, Linda Blair, and Amy Irvine, who was in the film, was actually up for the lead too. But Spacek come along and she just won everyone over. And I wonder, was that a hard pill to swallow for Irvine? It might not have been. But with SpaceX, she does, she's quite different looking. She's got quite that distinct look and she's very delicate. And I think that worked really well for this role. She also auditioned with a child's sailor dress on and had like this Vaseline in her hair. And that was like a hit for De Palma. And that's the thing with Carrie. She's a lot more childlike than the rest of them. The rest of them all look a bit older than her, whereas she just looks very meek. Um, her husband was the reason she actually got the audition. He was art director Jack Fisk. And De Palma let her come in as like a favor to him. But it was Carrie that got the part. She's the one that nailed it. He just kind of got her foot in the door. And Carrie was someone the audience had to like. and We had to root for her. And as an audience member, I did. But Irvine apparently played the role a lot differently. She played Carrie as a girl you could hate. And to be honest with you, I, I don't see the point in that. I don't, you need to root for Carrie. You can't hate her. So it was such a mishmash of people who were up to play certain roles. So Amy Irvine, she was up for Carrie. Nancy Allen was up for Sue. And Spacek was actually up for Chris, who is someone I'm going to get into a bit more in a minute. But Spacek got Carrie, Irvine got Sue, and Alan got Chris. So all girls actually did play their roles really well. So I think, you know, the director, he actually made the right choice here. And she even got nominated for her role as Carrie, but she did lose out to Faye Dunaway for Network. But before we get into those girls, especially Chris, let's uh, talk about the mother, Margaret White, as mentioned, played by Piper Laurie. Apparently, Piper Laurie struggled with this role. She would find herself bursting into laughter as she found the character to be so ridiculous. And, you know, she had to be reminded this is not a comedy. But to be fair, I can see her point. Margaret White is ridiculous. She is that person that you dread knocking on your door or bumping into in the street. And you certainly wouldn't let your kid go over there for a play date. And how she treats Carrie when she returns home from school, it's like pure child abuse. Her mother is like a whole new level of crazy with her religious beliefs. I have no problem with people being religious, but, you know, there, there, there's levels. There's levels when you go to people's houses and you're forcing those beliefs on people. You know, the ones and you, no matter what you say to them, they just can't see past it all. I, I can't tolerate the preaching. I cannot tolerate it. And now poor Carrie, she's going to get it because, you know, she got her period. Carrie's like, why did you never tell me? Because her mom looks upon this as a sin. She has sinned and she drags her into that Harry Potter cupboard under the stairs. It's just so awful. And, you know, to be punished for something so natural. But that's how far her mother is gone when it comes to her religious beliefs. Once Carrie calms down, though, because this this scene is, is, is it's truly traumatic. But Carrie does calm down 
And, you know, she's dragged. She's dragged by her hair, kicking and screaming into this cupboard. And But when she comes out, she just, her mum's calm and she just kisses her a very, very, I mean, slight kiss. It's barely a peck. Um, she does it on the cheek and then she goes to bed and she, she thanks her. She's like, thank you, mama. And I think at this stage for Carrie, she's learned that this is the best way to act because Margaret is so far gone and in her delusion of what she believes religion is for survival, you know, Carrie within the home, she has to act a certain way and it's best to do what she's doing to avoid being hit or locked under the stairs because the setup under the stairs, you can tell that this is a place that she is, she has put a lot to think about what she's done. So up until now, this seems to be the best approach, I think, for Carrie. But as she becomes a woman, you know, the film's going on and she's had her period, it, she starts to change. We start to see a bit of a different Carrie. So not only, you know, obviously is Carrie punished for what happened to her, that's by her mother, but we also see the girls who bullied her, they get punished too in form of detention with Miss Collins. But you can tell that they're all so hard done by. Why did this happen to me? And as there is a potential that they may miss the prom if they don't do this detention, you know, they they then comply, yes, okay, we'll do it. But not because they have any sort of remorse, but because they want to go to the bloody prom. But Chris is the main one with the issue. And she has this massive hit, hissy fit about it. And Miss Collins, she gets a little bit slappy slappy. Now, I think Miss, Miss Collins in this film, she, for me anyway, she represents how the viewer feels. We feel for Carrie, but we find it hard to believe at the same time that she never knew about periods. We feel for the other girls the way Collins does. You know, we don't like them. And we're definitely not shedding any tears when Chris gets a slab. And the whole encounter with Chris and Miss Collins, it also gives us this insight into the true relationship with Chris and her mates. It demonstrates just how little the other girls actually care for each other, let alone bloody Carrie. Chris wanted backup after the slab and no one cared. Nobody stepped up when needed. Granted, she's a brat, but they're supposed to be her friends. But prom was more important to them. They wanted to go to that. And they knew that if they stepped out of line, it meant no prom. So they didn't give a shit that Chris got, got slapped. But Chris, oh my God, she is an awful, awful character. And her boyfriend isn't any better. Actually, he's worse. I think he's worse. But th there's not much between it. Billy is played by a very young John Travolta. And... He and Chris, oh, they are a truly disturbing pair. You know the type of pair that you'd expect to hear that they've gone on some sort of killing spree? This is who this couple is. And Chris is so far gone from what she did to Carrie, she feels she is the victim. She can't go to prom because she wouldn't take the punishment from the teacher. So she gets her boyfriend to, you know, get revenge on Carrie along with a couple of others. So when we see these two as a couple, they are so toxic and only interested in themselves, and they barely like each other. Billy is so vile, and he drives while he's guzzling his can of beer. It's spilling all down his mouth. You know you know when you watch someone, and they can't get it in quick enough, and it's just going everywhere? It's so disgusting, and I knew that they were going to kiss at some point, and all I kept thinking was, why would you kiss that? I mean, I gagged. I'm not going to lie, and even if I was in this film, I don't think I could have acted this scene out. It was so disgusting, and she's like having a go at him because of the way he drives or something. And then he hits her like more than once. And then she starts kissing him and then she like pushes him off and then she does it again and she pushes him off. And then she gives him a blow job so that he help her do a really horrible thing to carry. I mean, they deserve each other so much. I have not got an ounce of sympathy 
for either of them. They're both truly horrific people. And if this whole scene with these two isn't bad enough about what we feel about them, the need for blood. So they need the blood for this infamous pig blood scene and obviously they need to go to pigs for it. Now, Billy has no issue slaughtering a pig. All the pigs are alive and he just gets this axe and he just, being egged on by Chris, I might add, he just goes down and it's like, it's like it's the best thing he's ever done. It's like a form of a release for him. And he he's so angry, but he's he bloody loving this. And that's what makes him so terrifying. So while we have Billy and Chris, who are one extreme, we do notice that another person that was involved in it, you know, there's some remorse there. And they're kind of coming around to the fact that they knew what they did was bang out of order. And that is Sue. And she has a boyfriend called Tommy, played by William Catt. And, you know, for her remorse, she suggests that she's willing to skip prom. And she asks her boyfriend to take Carrie instead. Now, I don't feel like he's a dick like the others. He has his poem read out in class. And, you know, he seems really pleased because at one point Carrie just says it's beautiful. Now, she sat a few rows back from him. And we kind of see her. But this, the, this, the shot they've set up, you see his face really clearly, like right up against the camera and then her kind of to the background. And when she says it's beautiful, the whole class, it obviously they start laughing. But Tommy doesn't hear. He's just kind of got this smile on his face. And, you know, we also get in this scene another view of what the school actually thinks of Carrie in the sense that they don't give a shit that she's being bullied. So as the kids are laughing, there's a teacher there and he joins in. And it's so pathetic of how he looks like he like wants to be part of the crew. He's joining in. He wants the attention and they're laughing and he's loving it even more. I mean, he's such a loser. But Tommy here shows that he's not impressed by the teacher and he mutters something under his breath. Now, while Tommy shows this and it's great, he doesn't pick on Carrie like the rest of them. You know, he, he should have spoke up a bit louder then because he had a chance to kind of stand up for her and then he backed away. And sometimes staying silent while watching someone get bullied, you know, it can be just as bad as joining in. And I believe he should have spoken up. And he's also really popular. So if maybe if he had spoken up a bit, she, you know, other people might have left her alone. To be fair to Carrie, she's a little bit, you know, curious and thinks it's a bit strange that she's been asked by someone who's so popular, known as a girlfriend, a girlfriend that, you know, wasn't very nice to her. But she she accepts you know, maybe this is real. And for one night, she can be a normal teenager. She can be accepted. So she's getting ready to go. And obviously her mother is not happy. And she's trying everything she can to stop her from going. She even walks in. It's quite strange. So Carrie is standing there and she's got this like pink dress on. It's very pale pink as well. And she's like calling it red. And I'm like, it's literally pink. She even says, no, it's pink. And she's like, everyone's going to laugh at you. And it doesn't feel like a protective mother. It's like, I need to have control. What you're doing is wrong. And she hates that Carrie is exposing some skin. And this just adds to the fact that she thinks her daughter is like some sort of sinner. But here we see Carrie getting stronger and stronger because she's not having it. And she doesn't get angry or excited. She gets, she's just like, no, go away. I'm getting ready. I'm going. And there's nothing you can do about it. It gets a bit heated later on, but in this moment, but that's because the mother is pushing and pushing it and pushing it. But Carrie's just like, I'm, you know, she's not having it. And she just continues to get ready. And Tommy 
does eventually show up to get her. And he's actually really nice to her. I think both him and Sue, they're actually trying to do something right by taking her to prom, redeem themselves. And he isn't doing this in privacy. He's not taking her to some restaurant and hoping nobody sees. He does this at the biggest event for, you know, kids of this age. And he does it in front of everyone. And he doesn't just, he doesn't seem to care that he's there with her. He doesn't care that people see him with her. And to be honest with you, they just kind of leave them alone. Tommy's very attentive to her, which I think is really quite sweet. He makes it a really enjoyable experience. And she asks him why. And he says it's because of um, the poem that he wrote and the way she reacted to it. Now, while I don't think in a million years he would have asked her if he wasn't made to, he does actually seem to be enjoying her company. But at the prom, I really do feel for the teacher, Miss Collins, as, you know, she does have a genuine interest in Carrie. She, she takes a real interest in her all the time. She's telling her she looks amazing, even though Carrie's like, thank you, I know it's a lie, but thank you. And I just feel... Oh, I feel so sad for Carrie because she is so happy. You know that moment when everything feels amazing and it's all perfect and you don't think you you don't think you could you would ever feel this happy. You know, especially especially when you've got a, you know, you've met a guy and you like him or a girl and you know, you're just so happy in this moment and you want it to last forever, but we know that it's all going to come tumbling down around her and it's just heartbreaking knowing that because I want her and she deserves it. She deserves to be in that moment forever. Like Tommy even kisses her. I mean, he dances close to her. I mean, this looks like a proper couple enjoying each other's company. I don't think that was part of the deal when the girlfriend asked him to take her, but he seems to be liking it a lot. She even goes on to win prom cream. I mean, I here in America, that's big. And her happiness is, it's going to explode. She can, you know, she can barely contain it. But can you imagine being so badly treated all your life and then you're prom queen thinking people have accepted you? You know, you're going to go to school on Monday. You're going to walk through those halls and people are going to be like, oh, hey, how's it going? They're going to smile at you. But then we have Chris and Billy and those fuckers are back. And what they do to her is, oh, my God, it's just the, uh, it's hard to even think that people actually think like this. Um, so. These two are so blinded by what they've done. They, they're they not accountable for any of their actions. You know the way you meet these people and, you know, it's never them. It's always because of someone else. Even when you're throwing tampons at a girl and screaming at her to plug it up. That's not your fault. That's somebody else's fault. You know what? You deserve everything you get. And Carrie is walking up on stage to collect that crane. There's music in the background. People are clapping. And most of them aren't in on this cruel prank. They are genuinely clapping for her. And this is her moment and she looks gorgeous. And Tommy leans over and gives her a kiss. And Sue sees it all and is happy for her too. You know, it's just, oh, it's beyond perfect. But the moment of her happiness, it wasn't to last. And she would get her revenge on everyone, even those that didn't deserve it. And here begins the famous scene that everybody knows about. The blood, the pig blood. And I have to say that shot when she's fully covered and she's like, you fuckers, you're going to pay for this. I think that shot is amazing. So powerful. Loved it. And I guess her mother was right. It is a red dress. It's no longer pink. It runs blood red. And as I mentioned before, Carrie has no control over this power that she has. And she is definitely 
definitely at the point of no return, her eyes wide open as she moves her head so slightly to trap everyone inside. It's not like what we're used to seeing in some of these you know, big mar uh, Marvel films and hands are shooting out and bodies are moving. She's She barely moves and she's she's doing what she's doing. So it's, it's hard to, to see her doing anything because there's not much there. And it's like, next what we see is a high level, I think, of release for Carrie as she destroys everything at that dance, as it all goes down in a blast of fire and blood. And was this cathartic for Carrie? You know, did she need this? Was this therapy? You know, when she gets her period, you feel like she changes in more ways than one. She doesn't take as much crap from her mother anymore. It's like an awakening for her. She becomes this strong, stronger woman and she's having thoughts and feelings and urges and wants to be with a man, wants to be part of things, wants to experience things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then she puts on that dress. It's slightly revealing and she doesn't let her mother have her way by making her take it off. And, you know, they want to, she wants them to burn it together. You know, before she would have, you know, here's the issue. Carrie was classed as this weirdo, the not so attractive girl, the quiet one who no one wanted to be seen with or be friends with. Her mother controlled her. Her peers tortured her. And then she goes to this prom and she goes against everything that people thought of her. She looks gorgeous. She's there with this beautiful, popular, cute guy for the time. <laughs> her mother has not been able to stop her. She said no. And, you know, she's not playing the role she should be. And people don't like it. Just like what King said about that girl at his school who was bullied as she wore the same clothes every day and then came in with something new. Carrie, like this girl, in King's words, she changed the mold. And people didn't like it. A few people didn't like it. Especially her mother. She hated it the most. So Carrie, while on this stage, she's feeling that everyone is laughing at her. Well, in fact, they're not. If anything, people are horrified and you know, there are only a small, you know, the small usual assholes that think this is funny. Even Norma, who's laughing and she's trying to make her fella laugh. And he's, you know, she's failing in that. Her fella does not look impressed at all. And we have no sympathy for Norma, for Chris or for Billy. But the others, they got caught up in this bullshit. But like I said, having said that, while they may not have been, you know, direct about how they felt about Carrie, she was still very excluded in and out of school. And you know, they could have always stood up for her long before this happened. But as we see Miss Collins, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if anyone was nice to her because all Carrie sees is everyone laughing at her. And I mean everyone. And just like her mother said, Mama was right. Her mother, though, is back in her head again. But Chris, if that's not hateful enough, she goes a step further. So Carrie has let loose on this venue no one is getting out. She opens the doors and leaves herself. Places on fire. People are being crushed. Everything's falling down around them. And she's just walking out of that venue, covered from head to toe in blood. Walking home. Very calmly, I might add. And she encounters Billy and Chris again. And they get their comeuppance because Carrie just flips the car as Chris is literally trying to kill her. But she kills them. So as Carrie heads home... Covered in blood, she runs a bath, gets in, cleans herself off. And her mother is being her usual crazy self, the way she kind of hides behind this door. And then she starts spouting some shit about how she was conceived. And I don't know, sometimes I may be wrong. I almost feel like the mother as well is very jealous of Carrie. 
you do hear of that happening between mother and daughter. You know, Carrie is young. She's beautiful. She's got this life ahead of her. And she's open to what her mother deems as sin. You know, Carrie is open to love and experiences. And, you know, that's okay. But her mother, her mother does show signs at times that it's almost like she misses certain things. But anytime she lets her mind go, she, she knows in her head anyway, that she's sinning. Like she speaks of a time with Carrie's father and she's like reliving it in the way she speaks. She's like touching herself and like she describes being raped. Like she talks about how they don't, they don't do that. They don't have sex, but he looks at her in a certain way and, and it happens. But you know, when you hear women talking about such things, it's not usually with a big smile on their face while enjoying it, saying, I, I liked it. And she does. And she hates that she liked it, but, but, but she does. And it's really disturbing that she's doing this in front of her. I mean, it's her mother. So, you know, it's not really a shock, is it? But he did force himself on her, but she, she liked it. And that's a strange thing to say, actually. But this poor girl, she, she gets the punishment of that because her mother then grabs a knife and fucking psycho stabs her in the back you know, right to the very end of Carrie's life, she is mistreated. And the strange thing here is how Carrie, you know, the, the wound that she got from her mother, it wasn't fatal. She could have got up and walked away, but she doesn't. And, you know, the mother does try and go for her again, looking like an insane person again. And all these knives just come flying out and pin the mother up. And again, I'm not being funny, as all these knives are in the mother is she enjoying that she's going to die? Is she enjoying that Carrie may die? Is she getting off on it? Because the noises she makes kind of sounds like she's getting off on it. There's a bit of groan in there and she still looks insane. She dies and her eyes are open. And it's kind of interesting how they position the mother because she's like, she's like Jesus on a cross and her mom would love that going down just like him. But, you know, Carrie, you know, she can't leave her mom there. She brings her into that cupboard, the cupboard that was used as a form of punishment to her. I guess all her mother is what she has. And in Carrie's eyes, I suppose her mother was right. They did all laugh at her. And who will be by her side now? No matter how messed up the relationship is, if her mother is gone, who does she have? And that's what makes it even sadder. Like this girl has gone through so many obstacles in her life, you know, obstacles that you shouldn't have to deal with. I mean, life can be hard enough as it is without that added crap that Carrie had to deal with and you hear all the time about children being mistreated but they still you know they want that parent's attention the right attention they want them to feel proud they don't want to leave their side but Carrie you know she she doesn't she has to stay with her she can't leave her so as that house goes down and the mother's dead she goes down with it all what a tragic life that girl had and I'm going to leave it there and that's my little take on Carrie it's such a sad film, but I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know. Give me a shout. But before I go, I would like to share a podcast trailer. Um, and this is from Paige over at Reverie True Crime. Paige's um, podcast is one I've been listening to for a while. I'm even a Patreon, which I can highly recommend. But she is the podcast of the month in the Oracle Network, which is one I am now part of. So I just thought I'd give her a little shout out. And here is her promo. But make sure you go and check it out because her podcast is it's really good. It's up there as one of my favorites. I'm Paige, the host of Reverie True Crime. I tell stories of helpless victims, vicious killers, 
Predators watching their prey before they strike. Survivors, petty crimes, people we think we know who do the unthinkable, and the dangers that lurk not only in the dead of night, but in plain sight and the light of day. Every once in a while, I'll also tell stories of the frightening paranormal, elusive cryptids, haunted locations, and conspiracies that may be silly or thought-provoking. You can listen to Reverie True Crime wherever you're listening to this podcast. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod. Facebook, Instagram, and even Tumblr at Reverie True Crime. Remember, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings at all times, and take care. And also, I'm going to throw in another little one. Yes, you're getting two this week. How lucky. I actually haven't tried these guys out yet. Their podcast. (laughs) Um, But go have a listen and listen to their trailer and then go listen to their podcast. I know I have to. But yeah, that is Murder Incorporated. Welcome to an undisclosed location. We are Murder Incorporated. Give me one good reason why people should listen to our podcast, buddy. Because you're getting true crime from a nerd and a murderer's son all wrapped into one. Yes, my father is a murderer, and you are indeed a nerd, buddy. What else sets us apart, Harley? I truly believe our empathy for the victims and their families shines through every episode. Also... 100% of all our listeners have not been murdered. We We are Murder Murder Incorporated. Incorporated. So make sure you go check out both those podcasts and go and rate and review them on iTunes and Podchaser and also go rate and review me. I do really appreciate it. And um, if you've got any film suggestions, then let me know. But for now, if you want any behind-the-scenes stuff, you can follow me on Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, on Twitter as A Nightmare Pod, on Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare, and email as Once Upon a Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. My God, there's so many ways you can contact a person. You can buy me a coffee, well, Prosecco on buymeacoffee.com uh, and Nightmare Pod. And uh, yeah, I'd like to say thanks for listening and um, I will chat to you again soon. Bye bye.